I am surprised you are here. I am all I am I am honored that you are here. Uh, but more than that, I'm surprised because when Mark Lanier announces I'm not going to be there next week, I figure people say, "Well, it's time to go visit the grandkids, or it's time to play golf, or go fishing." Or do something else. But I am honored and I thank you for being here today. For those of you who are surprised that I'm here, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, but you were warned. If you watched last week, you were warned. Mark at the very end said, this fellow Capes is going to speak next week. So I'm really glad to be doing that. I'm excited about today's message. I love the minor prophets. I call them the not-so-minor prophets. Because they were very significant in their day. They're only minor because their books are a bit shorter. And they're gathered together as shorter books kind of toward the end. And uh, we're going to be looking today at the, the book of Micah. So we're going to open up the book of Micah. I had to borrow this from Mark, by the way. I didn't know how to do this. Uh, Mark did that for me. So we're going to look at the book of Micah. And here we go. Uh, all right, who wants to read first? All right, anybody want to read first? Over here? Oh, we got one. All right, we got somebody who can read this. Yeah. Very good. Well, we're going to actually read it in translation, if that's okay with you. The ESV translation is good enough for me, and uh, it's good enough for Jesus as well. Well, we're going to start off by looking at uh, taking a big kind of view from 30,000 feet. That's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, Mark is going to come back next week and have a lot to say about Micah. So I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, I want to work around him, give him plenty of room, because there's so much good stuff in the book of Micah that we're not going to talk about today. We're going to take a big uh, kind of uh, overview of it. Then we're going to camp out for a little time in a few of the opening oracles, all right? An oracle is a prophetic speech. Let's remember that before prophets ever wrote anything down or anything was written by their secretaries, or by people who followed them around, um, before that, uh, they were speeches. They were speeches that were given. And they were speeches that were given in a variety of places. And we'll take a look at an example from Jeremiah this morning as well. And then we're going to take, take you to about five points from home that I think come from and come out of the book of Micah. So let's do that this morning. Well, let's start with this. Uh, okay, this is not working. There we go. Okay, we're going to get some action here. And we're going to start with an overview of the book before we do anything else. Um, here's how the book begins. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morashet. It's a little town south and uh, west of Jerusalem. In the days of the, these kings, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw, Micah saw words. Now think about that. He, these, this is the word of the Lord that he saw concerning Shimron, the Hebrew from Samaria and Jerusalem. So most of the prophecy in this book is going to be about what's taking place in Samaria, what is taking place in Jerusalem at the time. Now, King Jotham of Judah, we don't know a lot about him, honestly. And we can't say for certain exactly when he reigned. And the reason for that is because the historical record is not very clear. Part of that has to say, probably is to be interpreted, that for a while he was like a king regent. 
He was working alongside the other king, who would have been his father at the time, and he reigned, uh, pretty much was in charge, either as king or as king regent, kind of waiting, uh, coming up to be king between 750 and 735. Those are the years. Now, we're in the 8th century at this time, roughly the same time as Isaiah, roughly the same time as Amos, and some of the other prophets that, uh, that Mark has been talking about thus far. Next one is King Ahaz of Judah. Again, we don't know exactly which years he reigned. The record is not clear. Say, so how can that be unclear? Well, it is. It's just unclear. Historical records were not kept the same way then as they are today. But we think that he reigned roughly 25 years from 735 to 715 B.C. Again, we're getting an overview. Who are these people? Part of what I want you to notice is how long Micah, what, what kind of length of time that he was doing his prophesying in these chapters that we'll be reading today. And then there's King Hezekiah, the best known and probably the best recorded of the kings, who was king roughly 715 to 687 in Judah. We're going to talk about Judah here in just a moment, remembering that. And so we have our prophet Micah, who had a long reign... For under three kings as a prophet, speaking to those kings in various ways and various times. But the focus was always either on Samaria or Jerusalem. All right, so a little bit more from 30,000 feet. Let's start, let's start off. Now, we've already read the superscription. Scholars call that the superscription. That's the part that said, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moreshet, etc. That is the superscription of it. That's where it all gets started. Then there are oracles, judgment oracles regarding Samaria and Judah. Then there is the promise of redemption. goes hand in hand with it. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the prophets have very much the same sort of message. Judgment, 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 doom, calamity, disaster. Followed by, hey, it's all going to work out. In a way, not for everybody, but for a lot of people. So you have this mixture of judgment oracles and redemption that run side by side. Usually starting with judgment, ending up with redemption and restoration. And that's what we have here. Judgment and hope, chapter 6 and 7, and then finally a prophecy of restoration that goes on here. All right, let's do a little bit of history. Let's do a little bit of map study. What we have here is we have the, the people who are going to be in charge, as it were, of the world at the time. And the people that are in charge of the world, the world as they knew it, the superpower was the, the power known as Assyria. So roughly during the period that we're looking at, we're, we're looking at this area here. It's a huge area of, 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 of the world. Lots of nations had been gobbled up by Assyria. They will eventually reach this sort of this pinkish area. Is that pink? Looks pink to me. Um, purple? All right. It, your purple, my pink. Anyway, uh, it's going to look sort of like that. They're going to be wrapped up and wrapping up most of the ancient world. Look, here is what's called the Fertile Crescent, right? This is desert. You've got a few villages and oases down there, but they're fairly in, in unimportant. But what we have here is the important part of the world because it is the most fertile. It is the most populated part of the world. 
that Micah knew. This is the world of Micah, okay, that we're looking at. And there is the Assyrian Empire. All right. You know, I think we skipped us. Let me go back. I think we skipped something. Did we skip something? It's going to be my favorite part. I guess we didn't skip it. It's coming. It's coming. My favorite part. Okay, here we go. The Assyrian Empire. Next is our little divided monarchies of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. This is the map of the world of Micah. Now, Micah is from down here. Here's Jerusalem right here. If you ever want to know where Jerusalem is, you go to the tip of the Dead Sea and you go over about 17 miles. It's not a big land. It's a small land. That's Jerusalem, the tip of the Dead Sea over. And then Morishet is down here somewhere. so small it doesn't even show up on this particular map. That is called Judah. This area right here is known as Israel in the ancient world. Now, sometimes it's called Ephraim, sometimes it's called Jacob. It goes by different names, but nevertheless, we know sort of from the text what he's referring to. Now, let me ask you something. When you look at that map, who's got the best real estate there? Who's got the best land? Israel does. Now, how many of you have been to Israel? Raise your hand. All right, a lot of you have been to Israel. So, you know, when you were up in the Galilee area, there was a lot of greenery. There were a lot of fields, a lot of production of food there. When you go down south and when you get to Jerusalem and you go south, not many of you probably went too far south of Jerusalem, maybe Bethlehem, maybe a little further. You certainly didn't go all the way to Beersheba probably but some of you have, it gets very arid, very dry, and the the, the landscape um, doesn't produce as much food. It's not as productive, not as fertile. Okay, so the land that is owned by Israel is bigger, it's better. What about people? Where do you think the most people would have been? Israel, why? Because they had 10 tribes, okay. A lot of those have been taken into exile later on, but not quite yet. What, who else? What else do you think? Who had more cities? Cities are people. The population is higher in Israel The land is better. If you take a look at the supply of water, here is the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is fresh water. Lots of fish, lots of food coming out of the sea. The the Jordan River that flows down out of Dan, that's what Jordan means, coming out of the the tribe where Dan was. And here's the Dead Sea. That's That's the water that's closest to Jerusalem, right? Dead Sea's dead salt very salty so their water supply was not nearly as good so if you're a foreign power and you're looking to pick up a little real estate where are you going to go first israel more people means more taxes a larger tribute a greater population and better land all over and this is what's going to happen historically in the time that, that's, that's to come. They're going to take over. The Assyrians are going to move down from the north 
and they're going to swoop in and they're going to, in a sense, take over this area. They're going to be the overlords of the land. Now, they're going to leave Judah, in a sense, as a vassal state, meaning they're pretty much on their own, but they still have to pay a, a tribute. A, that's, that, that's a tax from a bully, basically. Not to steal your lunch money. Pay me and I won't steal your lunch money. I'll leave you alone if you pay me a little money. It's essentially what Assyria did, but very much on a larger scale. All right. Anybody know this picture? Sesame Street. One of my favorite songs in Sesame Street was, Who Are the People in Your Neighborhood? Do you remember that song? Oh, who are the people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? Oh, who are the people in your neighborhood, the people that you meet each day? Oh, a plumber is a person in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Well, you know the song. So whose are the people in the neighborhood? You've got this big superpower, this swooping down, coming down at you. You think that things are not going to be real good. You're not going to be able to hold on to the world that you know, essentially. And so let's talk about who's in the neighborhood. Now, this is the northern kingdom. This is the top of the northern kingdom. This is the area of Dan from where the river comes down. There's Mount Hermon. Lots of snow on Mount Hermon. It melts all times, lots of times of the year, comes down. So one of the kingdoms, smaller kingdoms, smaller bullies in the neighborhood is a group of people called the Arameans. We also refer to those as the Syrians. Their capital is Damascus right here. And they are sort of traditional uh, bullies, as it were, at, from time to time. And I'll talk about that in just a minute, what that means. Over here is Phoenicia, right on the coast. The Phoenicians lived here. Very, very advanced civilization for the time, in many ways. And then we move on down to the Ammonites. The Ammonites live right here with their capital, right there. Not very far from uh, Samaria, right there, which is the capital of the north, the northern kingdom. All right. Now, what about the south? If you're Judah down here, you've got a traditional enemy with the Edomites. They're sort of related and sort of not. Uh, it gets pretty complicated, but they were, they were bullies from time to time. And then you have over on the coast, you have the Philistines right here. On your western coast, uh, western flank, as it were, cities like Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and, and others, traditional enemies. And then you have the Moabites over here. The Moabites here, right north of, of where we ju just were before, on the other side of the Dead Sea, the Moabites. Now, these are the people in your neighborhood. Now, Israel today is living in a very tough neighborhood, you know? When you live with people around you who want to push you into the sea, that's a pretty tough neighborhood. But it's not unlike what was going on at that time because all of these neighbors from time to time were going to give Israel a hard time. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say one night you're at home or one day you're at home. One day you're at home and your house is burgled. You're home. The burglar comes. 
He beats you up. He ties you up. Then he starts taking things from your house. Well, what are your neighbors doing? Your neighbors are standing out on their porch watching everything's going on. They aren't intervening. They're not calling 911. They're not coming to your rescue. They see what's happening and they sort of stand by approvingly waiting for their turn to come in and burgle your house next. We know that this happened time and time again in history. When you live in a tough neighborhood like this, you, you get your stuff taken, stolen, beat up. Some people were killed. Some people were maimed for life. And your neighbors don't do anything to help you. In fact, they're just waiting for their turn. When the big bully leaves, they come in. They say, well, what's left over? I'll take some of that. This happened time and time. That's the kind of neighborhood that Micah is living in, that these kings, Ahaz, Jotham, and Hezekiah are living with, the kind of dynamics on every front. And then you have a little bit, there's Judah right there. Then you have a little bit of pressure. This area is the land of Judah up there at the very top is Jerusalem, its capital. And when you come up here, this is Israel with its capital, Samaria, right there. They weren't the best of friends. They were family. They, there's a lot of problems with family, and particularly this family. So from time to time, there were incursions, there were raids, there were marauders that came from the north to the south and then the south to the north. It wasn't a pleasant time. It wasn't a pleasant time. Let's talk about Jeremiah. Why Jeremiah? Well, because Jeremiah lives about a hundred and something years later. And yet Micah ends up being really important for something that happens here. Take a look at Jeremiah chapter 26. Is that big enough to read? Mm. All right, I get to play with these colors. All right, here we go. I'm choosing orange today. All right, here's, here it is. In the beginning... Of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. Now we're in his southern kingdom. This word came from the Lord to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the court of the Lord's house. Speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I'm about ready to command you. Don't hold back a word. It may well be that they will listen. And everyone turn from his evil way. And then I will relent from the disaster that I intend to bring on them because of their evil deeds. Say this to them. Thus says the Lord. If you will not listen to me, if you will not walk in the law that I have set before you, you will not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, in this case, Jeremiah, whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh. This house meaning the temple in Jerusalem. God's house. They thought that God is going to do everything to protect his house. God's house is safe. Jerusalem is safe. That's what other prophets have been saying. Jeremiah says not so fast. We have been disobedient to God. We have not obeyed the covenant. So therefore God is going to send disaster our way. I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. That's, that's pretty tough. Uh-oh, I'm down. Sorry. There we go. 
make the city cursed. So what happens next is a trial. You know, Mark has been talking about trials, right? The prophets are full of trials, and so they take Jeremiah to court, as it were. They have witnesses against him. Basically, his own word is his witness. They've heard what he said, and it was blasphemous to speak against the temple. It was blasphemous to say the kinds of things that he was saying, that God is going to make this place like Shiloh. Now, we don't ha- know exactly what happened to Shiloh. We know it was, de- it was defeated, crushed, and deserted, but we don't know exactly how or when. But they knew. Nobody bothered to record it for us, though, these days. So what happens next? Let's take, it, take a look. So the priests and the prophets, all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words. When Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him, then the priests and the prophets and the people laid hold of him saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord? Notice the all capitals. The divine name, the name of Yahweh, this house will be like Shiloh. This city shall be desolate. So they gather around. They take him to the gate of the temple. The gate of the temple served like the gate of the city as the place where court went on, where the elders of the city heard the charges. And so Jeremiah, first of all, speaks. Jeremiah, well, the officials speak first. And they say, this man deserves move that up, deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city. You've heard him with your own ears. So Jeremiah defends himself. The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds. Obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will relent from the disaster he's pronounced against you. So he's urging them. He said, he said do with me whatever you will, but you relent turn back to god if you don't do that disaster is coming if you do god will hold back the powers against you now this is where i want to show you what's going this is a hundred years after micah a hundred years after micah lived and, and then died but his words are going to continue so the officials uh people got up to defend him to defend jeremiah and say we shouldn't do this so this is what they say the officials and all the people said this man does not deserve the sentence of death for he has spoken to us in the name of the lord our god certain of the elders of the land arose they spoke to the people saying micah of morasheth prophesied a hundred years ago somebody had remembered this somebody had written it down Somebody knew this. They didn't have the book of Micah, we don't think, like we have today, but possibly they did. In the days of Hezekiah king, he said, this is what the Lord of hosts says, Zion is going to be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will be a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house, of the, uh, uh, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. In other words, the city It's going to be grown over completely. You won't even know a city was there in a few decades, a few centuries. Did Hezekiah, the king of Judah, put Micah to death? No. 
Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? Did the Lord not relent of the disaster? Yes, he did. People listened to Micah. People in Judah, at least, were saved from being overrun and the disaster that was to come. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, hundreds of years, people remembering the words of Jeremiah in this temple sermon that happened in 609 B.C. And the charge was he had spoken against the temple. Jeremiah defended himself. I'm speaking only what the Lord has given me. And Jeremiah had defenders. And Jeremiah survived. They did not put him to death, but they wanted to. But they were quoting the book of Micah. We know the book of Micah, chapter 3, verse 2. Well, let's take a look. We're going to look at some of the opening oracles. What is he saying to Samaria? What is he saying to Judah? And we're going to camp out for just a little bit of time today, this morning. I can see the clock today, so my eyes are working. That's a good thing. Here's indictments against Samaria. They're going to sound familiar in some ways. Some ways it's a whole different world. We're not worried about Assyria. We're not worried about our neighbors. Canada's not about to attack us. We have lots of worries about Cuba and others across the world, but uh, China and other places. But we're not too much worried about the people who are in our neighborhood, right? Here's what he says. Hear you peoples. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. It's kind of the way I like to hear it. He's announcing something. All the peoples of the earth, pay attention. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. Again, a courtroom scene. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. When God shows up, fear and dread if you're on the wrong side of the covenant. If you've been disobeying and disobeying and disobeying, and looking the other way, and looking the other way, and looking the other way, disaster is coming. God is going to tread. He's going to dance lightly on the mountains. I can imagine God in this infinite sort of just taking a two-step across the mountain, the Texas two-step across those mountains there. And this is what he said, what's going to happen. The mountains, when his foot touches them, will melt beneath him. The valleys are going to split open. And all the water in the bottom of the valleys will will spill out. And the the, the land is like wax before the fire. It's just going to start dripping and melting and melting and melting. Now, in his prophetic imagination, he's saying, what would it be like if God really started dancing on the mountains, treading upon the mountains? What would it look like? What would it be like? It is disaster all over. All of this, he says, is going to happen because of the transgressions of Jacob. That's the northern kingdom. The sins of the house of Israel, northern kingdom. What is the transgression of Jacob? The north. Is it not Samaria, the capital? The rulers. The rulers that they had are the reason. We'll see that in just a moment. What is the high place of Jerusalem, of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? There's an expression that goes around is we we get the leaders that we deserve. You ever heard that? This is sort of what 
not exactly what, but it's very similar to what Micah is saying about the rulers and the judges and the prophets and the priests and the people. You deserve these people. These people are rotten. They're bad shepherds through and through. And you deserve them because you are not living properly before God. Therefore, disaster, doom, calamity is coming your way. This is the word of Micah. And he says, is the word of the Lord that has come. So these are the indictments. Therefore, he says, I'm going to make Samaria the capital in the north, this great city of the north. I'm going to make it like a heap in the open country. Just a bunch of rocks. City of rocks, made out of rocks. They build everything out of rocks and stone there because it's so plentiful going to make it like a heap it's going to be a place well what can we do with this well if we move the stones out of the way maybe we can plant a vineyard here it's the best we can do with this land it's pretty much not i'm going to pour down her stones in the valley i'm going to uncover her foundations that's a well won't go into what that means i I, when i thought of this i i thought of this movie anybody know this anybody know this 1968 the first movie called Planet of the Apes. Charlton Heston rides. I was going to play this for you. It's about a minute and a half, but there's a lot of foul language in it. I didn't want to subject you to that. But if you remember, he comes up as he's riding this horse, and there's a woman with him. I don't recall her name, but he's, he rides up on the horse, and he sees what's left of the Statue of Liberty there, and he knows what has happened. He sees the ruins that are there and he knows that disaster has come and so therefore this is what's going to be left he said this is what it's going to be like a heap of stones is all that's going to be there next another indictments against samaria all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces all of her wages shall be burned with fire all of her idols i'm going to lay waste from the from for the fee of the prostitute Uh, she she gathered them. In other words, it was prostitution. It was infidelity that made them wealthy. This wealthy country, this wealthy nation, I'm going to take it all back. To the fee of a prostitute, they shall return. Prostitution here is an image, like we saw in the book of Hosea, for for what it means to, um, to be unfaithful to God, to serve these idols, to carve these images. To have these images, to pray to these images, to expect that these images are going to make them the ground fertile and the rains fall and their crops successful. So we see this in all many of the prophets, but also particularly in the book of Hosea. A lot of social ills. Woe to those who devise wickedness. Who work evil in their beds. They're, they're laying, laying in the bed at night thinking about how they're going to Take advantage of somebody, how they're going to twist some deal and make something and hurt someone else. When the morning comes, they do it. They perform the action of evil that they have against them because it is in their power to do so. Powerful people, lawyers, judges, politicians have the ability to do a number of things to us in this world that we have. And it was so in his world as well. 
powerful people. They had the power to do it, so they performed it. So what did they do? They coveted fields, and they snatched them. Hey, I like your property. I'm going to have your property. I, I covet your property. That's going to be my property. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to figure out a way to get it because that's good land. We saw Mark gave us an example of a king who did that. Um, yeah, Ahaz, uh, the, the field of, of Naboth, the land of Naboth. And imagine for just a minute that you're living in this hostile world. What would you do? Well, what we would do is we'd move. I want to live in a better neighborhood, right? I want to live in a better But wait a minute. This land is your ancestral land. This is, the, this is the land of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. This is the land that God has given you. You're just going to pick up and move because you don't like your neighbors or your neighbors are, 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 are sometimes harsh and, and, and violent? Well, what are we going to do? We live in this time when people are going to covet, they're going to desire, they're going to take, they're going to take them away. They oppress a man in his house. The word house here doesn't mean the physical structure, but his family, right? The, the, the children and the children's children. They oppress a man in his house, a man and his inheritance. This is, I have inherited this land. This is my land. This is my house. And we're not moving. We're not going anywhere. Because God has given us this land. They believed that. They understood that to be the case. But they lived in that kind of world, nonetheless. Thus says the Lord, because, uh, behold, against this family, that is not the, <laughs> the, the other family that is devising evil, I am going to devise disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. When disaster comes, it's coming to you. You who coveted the land, you who seized the land, you who worked your deals, you who made a profit on the backs of other people, it's coming for you, God says. And you will not walk haughtily. This is a, a reciprocal justice. We see this over and over again in the prophets. Because you have done this, to hurt my people, I am going to do this to you, God says, through Micah and through many of the other prophets, this kind of reciprocal justice. Now, here's, uh, here's another thing about rulers, wicked rulers, wicked judges, uh, wicked prophets, etc. We get the leaders we deserve. But take a look at what he says about this. I'll tell you what, let's look, let's read it. Over in Micah. Can anybody find Micah? Hosea, Joel, Amos, there's Micah, chapter 3. I want to read just a bit of Micah here, make sure we can see it. This is what God says through prophet, the prophet. As I said, hear you heads of Jacob, northern kingdom. You rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, you who tear the skin off my people, their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, flay, now they're not turning into cannibals, that's not the point, but he's using cannibal-like language to describe this, 
the injustice that is coming down from primarily, in this case, the rulers who are the judges, the ones judging the people, the ones making decisions. And it, what the prophet says, they hate what is good and they love what is evil. Imagine having judges like that. I hope there's, I mean, I know they exist. They did then. They probably do now. I'm hoping that we have the power to be able to vote them out of office. Let me try to get this over here. Ah, Sorry about that. They're going to cry to the Lord. The Lord is going to answer. This is what the Lord says about the prophets. People who do what I do. It's kind of scary. They cry peace when they have something to eat. (laughs) You know, when somebody's paying them. Pay me something, and I'll say a good word to God about you. I'll pray for you. I'll speak a blessing over you. And they believed that the prophetic word had power, even if they were bad prophets, evil prophets. But declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. You, you don't pay me? I've got a curse for you. I want to curse you in front of God. I'm going to use God's name to curse you. Bad prophets. Therefore it shall be night for you. And he goes on to talk about that. The seers shall be disgraced. In other words, for the prophets. The diviners will be put to shame, etc. But as for me, I love this. As for me, he says, I am filled with power, Micah says. I have the spirit of the Lord and I have justice and might on my side. And I'm declaring to Jacob his transgression. I'm, I'm saying to Israel, this is your sin. This is your people this is your nation what are you going to do about it do nothing look the other way hope for better days it's a tough tough lesson now here's the heads uh the rulers these are the these are the politicians these are the people that today sit in washington sit in austin rulers sit in the city of houston they did they are They detest justice. They make crooked all that is straight. That looks good to me. Let me mess it up. That's working. Let's foul it up to my advantage. You who build Zion with blood, Jerusalem with iniquity, they give judgments for a bribe. You pay me well enough and I'll judge in your favor. Priests teach for a price. Prophets practice divination for money. They do it for the wrong reason. Now switch back. Here's the rulers. They abhor justice, pervert equity, build kingdoms, their own kingdoms with blood and violence. Priests teach for money. Prophets preach for money. That's the world that he lived in. He's condemning, he's condemning it in the name of the Lord because the Lord has spoken to him and said, this is my word to my people. So here's the word. We see it over and over again in the prophets, violence. It's expressed in a variety of ways, building kingdom with blood. That's one of the ways to do it. And there's a lot, all kinds of violence today, isn't there? I mean, our, our communities are saturated in violence. 
And people are condemning it. We see it. There's family violence. That's something we hear a lot about. But there's all kinds of violence, isn't there? There's gang violence. Lived in Chicago for a while. We heard a lot about gang violence in the south part of the city, right? Some of you know about gang violence. Workplace violence. There's other kinds of violence as well. Racial violence. Sexual violence. Violence against women. Road rage. Violence. Violence. Psychological violence. You don't have to shed blood to do violence to somebody. See an example of this in a moment. Violence against the elderly. The older I get, the more I think about that. Religious violence. Youth violence. Young people. And then we go ahead and invent more kinds of violence. What's the next kind of violence that's coming? It's a question mark. What kind of violence? We live in a, a world saturated with violence. Our entertainment saturated with violence. Our, our computer games saturated in violence. And we don't know sometimes the difference between them. Here's, a, here's an example. When I was in England last summer, this, the story of this young lady caught my attention. Her name is Molly Russell, and this is her at the age of 14 when she took her own life. What was interesting about it, and it was all over the news in Britain, and probably made it over here, here as well, the coroner who was from that area, who did the investigation, concluded that she died from an act of self-harm generated by social media. It was social media that took her and pushed her. And she didn't have an, an adult brain to think about these things. She didn't, have, she didn't have a mature brain. She had a 14-year-old brain. And so she took her own life. This is the first time, I think, in history that someone's death was tied directly to social media in terms of the legal system, the 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 uh, the uh, gosh I can't remember the, what the title the guy's title was what anyway officially her cause of death now here corner yeah that's thank you I was thinking of that word well let's see uh, go back suicide a type of self violence it is the second leading cause of death in children from the age of ten to fourteen. They are killing themselves. A study conducted by Brigham Young University found that girls who use social media at least two to three hours a day and then over time increased that were at an increased risk of doing self-harm and suicide than those who had social media limited. My plea to you as parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters, is to make sure that your children and grandchildren, nephews and nieces, are not spending hours upon hours dealing with social media because it is violence to the soul. It is destroying souls. It is destroying lives. And this is just one example. This Molly Russell, who took her life 
at the age of 14 because she was bullied and harassed by people on the internet. And her 14-year-old brain could not cope with it. So she took her own life. Well, we're coming up on the end in just a moment. I want to talk about restoration. I got to talk about something pleasant. I've been talking about gloom, despair, and agony, oh me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony, oh me. We're talking about that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. No. I used to love hee-haw. That was so much fun. Tells you how old I am, I guess. Ages me. Okay, well, go, go back. Sorry. In the latter days, I love this. In the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord, the one that is being threatened now, is going to still be standing and shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills, and people from all over the planet are going to flow to it. Jerusalem is going to be the center of the world. All the nations will flow to it. What else does he say? Is that in this oracle of restoration, what else does he say? Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, God's law, justice, the law of justice. And the word of the Lord is going to go out from Jerusalem. This wonderful Hebrew parallelism, poeticism. And there's more. I love this part. The Lord shall judge between many peoples. The Lord himself shall decide disputes from strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. What a day. As Phil Keggy says, what a day that will be, right? War, a thing of the past. No more war machines, no more, none of that needed because it says they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. Every person is going to have their land. Every person is going to have their House. Every person is going to have a chicken in every pot and a car in every garage. Probably an electric car, but it's a car. Right? It's going to happen. This is what the Lord of hosts is saying is going to happen. It's going to take place in the latter days, in the last times. And that's not in some far off planet somewhere. That is here. That is the hope. I love this image by Edward Hicks called the peaceable kingdom. <clears throat> and it takes, it takes a lot of the images of the prophets, you know, and pulls them all together. You have the, the children there laying outside by these, by these lions and, and, and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And you got, you got all kinds of, you got the wolf and the lamb together, and, and they're not eating each other, not running from each other. It's not fear. And, and the lion and the cow, they're just sitting there grazing together. I love that image. That is the world that is yet to come. That is the world according to the prophet Micah. And this is what 
He says, Jerusalem will be made the center of the world. Everyone will know. All the nations, all the people groups will know that God is God. The one true God is truly God. Justice is going to be done. There's no more people laying in bed at night uh, calculating how they're going to take advantage of somebody, how they're going to swindle somebody, how they're going to con somebody, how they're going to defraud somebody, and then going out and doing it the next day. It's not going to happen anymore. Justice is going to be done. War is no more. Everyone has their own place. Fear is a thing of the past when fear seems to dominate on so many different levels. Well, the prophet was right. Um, In 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel fell. They were destroyed. Samaria, heap of ruins. But what happens to the south? Judah becomes a vassal state of Syria. They pay tribute and tax. It's like a bully in school who says, look, give me, give me a little money every day and I won't, I won't beat you up. Not going to do bad things to you. You just, just pay me, pay me, and we'll be good. But this is done on a national scale. This is what happens to them. Well, let's talk about just a few things, a few points from home uh, as we conclude today. And thank you for your patience. Points for home. The first thing is this. The prophet's message is this, that disobedience to God brings hardship. You disobey God, it's going to be really hard for you. You live contrary to God's laws and God's purposes for your life, it's going to be really, really hard for you. In some cases, it will be disastrous. In some cases, it will end your life. Obedience, though, brings blessing, brings the different kind of world here. And here's another lesson, I think, that comes out of Micah. Divine judgment, I wish we had time to develop this a little bit more. Divine judgment is not just a problem for the Old Testament, right? It's not just God being angry and capricious, arbitrary. Divine judgment is not an Old Testament problem Divine restoration is, just not, is not just a, a New Testament promise. There's a lot of promise in the Old Testament. A lot of, some of the most beautiful language about forgiveness is found in the Old Testament. And restoration is found in the Old Testament. And, and the New Testament people pick up on that and they quote it over and over again. Here's another lesson that I think we can draw from this passage in Micah. God hates violence. Violence against people, violence against his planet, violence against his creation of any kind, including the animals. God hates it. He is going to punish it. And who else is going to be punished? Those who look the other way who don't do anything about it, who just notice it and move on. For God cares for his people, his world, his creation. He doesn't want violence of any sort against it. Here's number four. I think this is number four. 
I love this. Micah didn't have any claim to fame. He is an ordinary person. I mean, he was a prophet. God chose him and God equipped him and spoke to him and showed him things. But he was an ordinary person. He wasn't extraordinary in any sense, except for the fact that he was obedient. And so God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I think that's always a beautiful thing to remember because almost all of us in here, I know a few of you are extraordinary, but most of us are pretty ordinary. Live ordinary lives, ordinary places. You're the kind of person that God can use. And finally, there is a new world coming. When you look at all the disaster and all the wars and rumors of wars and everything else that's going on, this time there is a new world coming. Our hope is in this new world that God brings about. Yes, there will be disasters. Yes, there will be calamities. Some of those we bring on ourselves. Some of those are just brought on by other people against us. But there is a new world coming. And that is our true destination. That's where we're headed. So the promise is, get on the plane. Let's go. Let's get ready to, for that journey that God has for all of us. Let me, let me speak a prayer this morning and pray a prayer, and then we can be dismissed. It's right on time today. Gosh, perfectly timed. Let me pray. Father, thank you for these good folks. Thank you that they came out on a day to hear somebody other than Mark. I'm so grateful for their fidelity to you and for for what you're doing in in them and through them in this great church. I pray that we'll hear the message of Micah. We'll understand the divine blessings that come when we obey. And help us not get so caught up in the darkness of the hour that we don't understand the new world that you have promised through Micah through all the rest of the prophets. Help us to hear their word. Help us to walk in it in Christ's name. Amen.